Hello and welcome to another edition of Talking Devils. Um, I'm here uh, today, Dave Murphy, as usual, uh, with my uh, co-host, uh, former Manchester United centre-back and current uh, Markham and FA Cup second round uh, participant, um, Scott Wooten. Scott, how are you doing this week? Good win yesterday. Yes, good. Pardon? Good win yesterday. Yeah, no, it was a good win. Um, obviously, FA Cup, a distraction from the league. We haven't been doing great in the league. But yeah, take the wins as they come uh, within the half of the next round. Closer, step closer to hopefully a, a third round. And um, yeah, you, you can only beat what's in front here. Obviously, the team are in the league below us, so we, we would expect to to put on a good performance. And um, I mean, the conditions were awful, but we got through it and, and got the win. And um, I was nearly going to say got the three points there, but we got got through to the next round. And that's what I mean. That's what it's all about at this at this moment in time. You know, clubs in the in the lower di- division. Um, Looking for that, you know, third round big draw, uh, home or away these days, it doesn't really matter. I don't, well, I mean, if you go away against a big club from a club perspective, business wise, it, it's great business, but I do believe that you know, uh, clubs make a hell of a lot more money these days, you know, home or away than they did in previous times, uh, especially if like you know, you get a big club like United or Liverpool or City or Chelsea. So, you guys are number 12, that's your number. I'm not sure what you know that, but I've been looking for that, um, in the hat for tomorrow. Um, yeah, hopefully you get a you know a home draw and a nice handy one to get you into that third round because you know we want to see you back at Old Trafford. We want to see you uh, go up against Ronaldo and Cavani because um, I want to have that conversation with you after the game. <laughs> yeah. Um, so for for anyone that's that's uh, tuned in, if you haven't subscribed, please subscribe. Um, uh, for those that have, we appreciate it. We appreciate your support. Uh, Scott, gonna jump right into it. Manchester United 7, Manchester City 0, um, I wish. Uh, Manchester United 0, Manchester City 2, another bad performance, and I'm, and I'm trying to be polite here. Uh, Manchester United, at this moment in time, are completely rudderless, in my opinion. There doesn't seem to be a plan. There doesn't seem to be anything at all at this moment in time. Um I mean, if I look at the game in midweek, it was the same. I followed on. We had a we had a brief, you know, a glimmer of hope last week against Tottenham. But you know, Tottenham have been really bad anyway. Um, yesterday's game was how do I put this? You know, even though the result was three goals less than the Liverpool game, mm. my honest opinion is I think Manchester United. The game yesterday was more damning than it was against Liverpool, we were absolutely chasing shadows for the whole game. We really were. Uh, how did you see the game, Scott? Yeah, it was obviously, with it being an earlier kickoff. I managed to watch the game uh, before my own game. And, it, I mean, I, I probably agree with you. I think even though the scoreline wasn't five and that looks awful looking from afar, but watching it, <clears throat> I mean, the most alarming thing for me was the golf in quality was just like incredible it looked like a team challenging for the league playing against a team who were battling to stay up and you, it just it, the, honestly the the way man city moved the ball like you said the plan they, they've been having that plan now you know ollie's been in the job three years pep's been in it for four or five years a lot longer but that, that we've seen that before at old trafford how they play how they move the ball they all looked so in sync with each other um the way they play without a recognised striker. The, the, yeah. United three centre-backs didn't have anyone to mark. So there's three other players outnumbering the midfield or the in the wide areas so much. They kept the ball for fun. Men against boys, all these sorts of phrases is just exactly, they're all, all right. They didn't, Man United didn't lay a glove on them. They didn't get close to anyone. Um, I think obviously the early mistake from Bailly, that just sort of kills any sort of game plan. Um and I'm sure Ollie would have used the Tottenham game as sort of like a template of let's sit deep, deny City any space in behind, be narrow, be compact. I think he knew he couldn't, after Liverpool, there's no chance he could take City on toe-to-toe, not not a chance. So even that in itself is tells us something with the, the, the squad on paper and what the reality of it is. Then... He's obviously had that game plan to, to go free at the back, you know, more like a back five, sitting deep. Bruno was playing deeper. It was like a flat three in midfield without the ball. 
Um, Greenwood was in the team, had a bit more pace. Obviously, Cavani wasn't available, but he got a bit more pace trying to hit City on the counter attack. And when you can see, when when that is your game plan, you know, even though it's Man United, I'm sure he would have been thinking, right, let's get to half time at a minimum of nil nil. Don't concede, stay in the game for as long as possible. Man City will have all the ball, but they might get a bit edgy, even though they're the away team in, in the game. Um, and we'll try and hit them on the break, frustrate them, make it horrible for them. But when you can see the goal, um, you know, such a rash, rash goal. And we were actually saying, uh, watching the match, <laughs> even though we're sort of League One players, but if them two goals happened in our league, you'd be getting absolutely, it, it shouldn't happen. At, you know, obviously everyone makes mistakes, of course, but, you know, it was such a rash rational goal and then like I say the whole game plan then just, just goes completely out the window because naturally then you're thinking well we need to, to score to equalise we need two to win the game they don't really want to come out because they, they know they can't match City toe for toe City will just pop it round them for fun but you're 1-0 down and you're still you're still sat behind the ball not laying a glove on City and it was um, very I'd describe it as very bleak performance like I say they just didn't get anywhere near didn't, no tackles no no energy. Can't I and listen, I had to stop watching at 80 minutes to um to go out and warm up, but didn't even I can't even remember it. An half decent chance, really. And that that's that's just that's poor. So so poor. Well, one of the statistics that came out of the game was Manchester United had more shots on David De Gea than they did on 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 City's goalkeeper, um, which is kind of a damning um Statistic, but I want to I want to jump back to uh, one thing that you mentioned earlier on, which is the golf in 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 the teams. You know, Manchester United, Manchester City. I want to I want to drag Chelsea and Liverpool into this conversation as well, uh, without being biased. Um, on paper, Manchester United have just as good a squad as 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 all those teams, in, and and I would argue in some cases even better as a squad. Mm-hmm. Um, yesterday looked like. You know, it looked like, you know, a toured around FA Cup game where it was a Premier League team playing a, a non-league team and the non-league team were just hoping that they weren't going to be humiliated. That's really the way it looked to me. It was embarrassing. Um, like I said, on paper, and everything's great on paper, yeah. but on paper it could be argued, you know, that Manchester United should be challenging for the league with a team like that. And, and it, would, it would take someone very hard-pressed to disagree with that. Yeah. So why the golf in class? I mean, why why does it look like, you know, we were playing Barcelona from 2011 uh, against a non-league team yesterday? Because that's what it reminded me of. It reminded me of the game at Wembley where we barely touched the ball for 90 minutes while Barcelona toyed with us like a cat in a mouse. Why is there such a vast golf in it? Is it all down to the coaching? Because we have the players. I don't believe the I don't believe Ollie has lost a dressing room. I think he's just he's just that type of guy. I don't think he ever will lose a dressing room. But I think the players may become just disillusioned with what's going on. So why is there such a massive gulf in class there when when toe for toe we we should really be challenging? Yeah, I think um, it's not all down all down to the coaching, but I think a large part of it is you know what, like I said earlier, you can see City have been playing that way for years. As soon as Pep Guardiola comes in. You just know straight away he's going to play 4-3-3. He played at Barcelona with Messi up front as like a false nine, not a recognised striker like he did yesterday. Um, Thomas Tuchel comes in straight away, plays what he did at, at PSG, uh, three at the back. Um, Marquinhos played as a holding midfielder, but a middle centre-back sometimes. Chelsea straight away goes to a three at the back, uh, two wingers, uh, similar to Conte, uh, Jürgen Klopp. First game comes in, plays 4 3 3, high press, high energy. Now, they didn't get it right at the start. Yeah, yeah. Klopp took three, four years to, to win his first cup, got, obviously got beat in the Champions League final. Pep didn't win anything in his first season after spend nearly £200 million on full backs, I think it was. Yeah. Um, but he has spent £200 million on full backs. But that's, and that's the thing when you look, you think of the money United has spent over the years mm. and the product that's on the pitch. Um, you know, and I think I think the thing for the players and, and the last two games, the Liverpool and City game, especially, and I was talking about the golf I mean, when you're watching the game, and like you said, it looked like a non-league team against a, a top top team, and it, it was it could never have been Man United's plan or idea or Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's idea to play uh, really deep, um, yeah. three at the back, wing backs, two strikers. It, it couldn't have been because. 
you wouldn't have signed Sancho. It was a, it was yeah. a wide player winger. You just wouldn't have signed if that was your plan. So it's pretty obvious that wasn't his plan. So then when you go to that as a player in the dressing room, you you almost know that the staff and the manager's not really sure. He's in between. You know, they went four two three one against Liverpool. Got absolutely nowhere near him. Got beat five. Um. You know, went to a three at the back because something had to change against Tottenham. Okay, that can happen sometimes, but I think it just leaves the players. You know, if the top of the, you know, in any business or company or any any worker, like if the, if the top people are a bit unsure, and you can you can tell that from formations and team selection, yeah. then it just leaves the, the the group in the train. Not that they're not fighting for them or working for them, or like you said, I don't think Ollie will ever lose the dressing room. But even if it's just that one percent little bit of doubt. It's um, you know, it's it's not ideal. It's far from ideal. It's just even that one percent doubt going into a game, and you're not quite sure. You, you don't quite get the press right, or on the ball, you're not quite sure of certain patterns. Whereas you're playing against Man City, you just knew watching that game, every single player, even the players on the bench, every member of the staff, they just know how they play, the system, the shape, the patterns of play. They just know it inside out. That's probably because, like I say, they they've been probably getting drilled that every day for four or five years they've had a group now that have been there together for a while you know so Man United it's, like you say it's the third year they've had players who, who've been in and around it now for many years we're still not we're still scratching our heads not quite sure how they want to play <clears throat> like I say I'm pretty sure all that we, we spoke last week I think about a lot of the success was playing on the counter-attack yeah but then when you can see the early goal against Man City you've got it goes out the window exactly where they want you yeah exactly where they want you um, I want to I want to jump on to uh, the second goal um, and get your you know you being a, a centre back yourself. Um, you you said earlier on that you know if if those two goals were conceded in the lower divisions, you get absolutely hammered for it. Um, I mean, the first goal is just one of those things. I mean, we've seen old goals with that all the time. You know, he swings at it, it scores off his shin, it goes into the net. I, I can kind of look past that one, um, but I want to get back to Eric by uh, later on, but. That second goal, I mean, we've got an England and Manchester United captain who completely lets the ball go over his head. Um, we've got, you know, possibly the best left back at the Euros uh, in Luke Shaw, um, who completely just leaves it, you know, which which is mind-blowing in itself. Um, and then David De Gea, I mean, he, you can take some of the blame off him because... Again, but any goalkeeper that's beaten at the near post, I know that they, they, they really don't like that. Um, I'm, I'm going to ask you for your professional opinion here as a centre-back. What the hell happened there? Yeah, I think it was just so much indecision. You know, I think Maguire can get to it, but he's probably, he, he's had a, he, if he did go for it, he'd be at a bit of a stretch. But I do think he can just, just head it in the first instance and then there's no danger. So that leads on to Shaw's probably thinking Maguire's going to deal with it. So then when Maguire doesn't deal with it, it comes out, it's bound, you know, these things happen so fast. He's not expecting Maguire to not go for it. So it's like, oh, shoot. he's thinking he's Bernardo Silva's on the outside of him. Uh, Maguire's probably thinking, I know Luke Shaw's behind me or it might run out. And the only person who really believed he was going to get on the end of it was Bernardo Silva, wasn't it? You know, and that's... <laughs> I just think it's indecision, like a comp, huge confidence thing. Uh, I think if Maguire, since he come back from his injury, hasn't obviously he hasn't looked the same player. I think if that's Maguire, hundred percent fit and confident, um, he just clears it. I think Shaw as well is confident, like you say. <laughs> Scratch me, Luke Shaw, because he seemed to turn such a huge corner from the, yep, the, from the injury. last season. The Euros, he was outstanding, and then maybe it's. Whether he's got a hangover from that, I don't know. But I mean, I just don't get it. Um, but going back to that incident, he's probably thinking Maguire's going to deal with it. The minute the split second Maguire doesn't deal with it, um, Bernardo Silva's in. Even if from there you're thinking he shouldn't really score from there. You know, let's be honest. The hair should save it. He certainly shouldn't pat it into his goal. If anything, he should he should pat it out. But it's such a poor goal. Like I say, indecision, lack of confidence to just go and deal with it yourself. Always thinking about leaving it for you for someone else. Um, so poor defensively. 
I mean, he didn't even hit her with a lot of power, did he? I mean, David De Gea was all over the place. And, and you know, David De Gea has been, listen, for me, he's still Manchester United's number one. Um, I think there's, there's there's weaknesses to his game, but I also think there's a lot of weaknesses to Dean Henderson's game. I also believe that the only way we're going to get rid of those weaknesses in Dean Henderson's game is to play him every week. But De Gea has been pulling off some fantastic saves. He's been, you know, that Liverpool game could have been a hell of a lot more without him. Yesterday could have been a hell of a lot more. But then again, he is making mistakes. Um, I just think that you know my the criticism I've always had of David De Gea is that he he seems to be a little bit afraid to get to get hurt to get injured. He doesn't come for crosses. That ball came in at the near post where he could have collided with the post. I'm 100 confident that Dean Henderson would have saved that because I don't think fear would have come into it. I think he would have just went all out and ran into the post if need be. I think De Gea pulls back a bit, and I've seen him do that a few times. That's my only criticism of David De Gea is that that Dean Henderson has over him is that Henderson will come and smash everything in front of him, absolutely destroy him. That's, you know, I'm sure as a centre-back, that's what you want behind you because you know, hey, if I miss it, he's coming and he's clearing everybody, me and everyone else. Yeah. David has never been that goalkeeper. Um, is it? Is it, you know, De Gea has played very, very well, but he is making a lot of mistakes. I mean, midweek, you know, that 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 goal against Atalanta, I mean, I, I don't know. I, I don't even know how that went in. Um yeah. The mistake at the weekend, you know, I'm not a fan of switching out. There's, there's two positions I don't really like switching out a lot: at centre back and and a, and a goalkeeper. I think that those two positions you should try and keep them as much as you can. Is is it time for Dean Henderson to be given another chance at Manchester United? Um, it's a tough one because I think before probably the Atlanta game, I think David Hayes probably been the best player this season. Yeah. Um. You know, whether that mistake in the week has affected him so much and it knocked his confidence and he's getting sort of memories coming back of mistakes he's made in the, in the past few years. Um, you know, maybe it is time. Only Ollie and the, the goalkeeping staff will know that. Dean Anderson, I'm sure, will be licking his lips now thinking, well, if it's probably now or never really, even though yeah. I do think David De Gea made some really good saves yesterday before that mistake. But, you know, as a centre-back and a keeper, you don't need, you could make... you could play great for 99% of the game and then yep. that 1% you, you, means you have a bad game even though you, like I say you may not have um, so I'm sure that's a huge decision that's probably on Ollie's mind at the minute because um, if he did put Dean Henderson in De Gea hasn't really got a leg to stand on, on the last couple of games um, but yeah listen I'm sure it's something they're monitoring if it was me personally I mean I would give De Gea Another chance, possibly, just for the sheer the fact that I think he, he if it felt like he turned the corner, he'd had obviously three or four unbelievable seasons, and he had a couple of really poor yep. seasons. Yep. I understand. I honestly, genuinely feel like this season he's probably been the best player, um, and that, that says a lot about the whole team, uh, for one. But I just think, I think I'd give him another chance, just me personally, only because I'm not, not that I'm not convinced by Dean Henderson, um. But I just haven't seen it. I haven't seen him do. He's made some mistakes as well when yeah. he's played. So it's not like he's come in and being like this this colossal figure and and being being superb. Don't get me wrong, he's done okay, but he has also made a few mistakes as well. So just for now, I, I would stick with the hair. Um, give him one, maybe two more chances, and then, like you say, you've got nothing to lose in Dean Henderson because if the hair keep making mistakes, then you know it's not. If if Henderson comes in and makes. Not that you want him to make mistakes, but he's got nothing to lose. Yeah, and I think I think you know I'm 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 kind of on the same thinking as well as that. You know, um, is that I think that I think the hair at this moment in time is on borrowed time. I really do. I think one or two more mistakes, and Ollie doesn't have much of a choice. But he's kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. If he if he drops him for Henderson and Henderson makes a mistake, it's even more pressure. But when David De Gea joined Manchester United, like when Peter Schmeichel joined, you know, the mistakes were made throughout the first season. But as a goalkeeper, you know, you can look back at many goalkeepers and think that the only way to become even better is to get out there and make those mistakes and learn from it. That's that's the only thing that, it, you know, that pushes me for, you know, for Henderson to start. I know I'm a massive David De Gea fan, <clears throat> but the bottom line here is that we, we can't sustain 
keep sustaining these mistakes by the hair. I mean, if it's a, if a centre-half scores two or three own goals, you know, in the space of two or three weeks, he's getting dropped, you know, it's yeah. because because his confidence is gone. You know, you, you made a great point there that maybe, you know, after midweek, you know, the doubts are starting to creep into the hay again uh, from last season and the previous season where he was, you know, it was blunder after blunder. And maybe the hair for me is still one of the best goalkeepers in the world, but he shouldn't be, he shouldn't sit outside that, that you know, that thinking of, well, he can be dropped just because, and you rightly pointed out, he has been our best player, him and Ronaldo, you know, throughout the whole season so far. That said, um, the only way I think we're going to get Dean Henderson up to a level that we believe he can be is to play him. And the hay is, making that decision for Oli very, you know, a lot easier as we go on. Um, um, Wayne, Wayne, um, Wayne makes a, a good point here. Can't see Oli if he gets a chance dropping the hair. I think he wants to make as many major decisions as possible or make as few major decisions as possible. And he has a few before getting to the goalkeeper. It, exactly what I've, you know, what I've just said is that, you know, the hair, uh, Oli, if he drops him, Henderson makes a mistake. It's, it's, 10 times worse than if he keeps the hay in yeah. and he makes a mistake. Absolutely. Know? Like you said, Dave, it's the one position that I'm sure the whole team just want consistency. And the hair, I think you touched on it earlier as well, he's, he's never really been that sort of commanding goalkeeper. So you, you've almost got to accept, accept, accept him for what he is. He's not going to change now at, at his age. Yeah. Um, you know, Dean Henderson could develop and, and grow into into a certain type of keeper he, he could become that demanding keeper but you, you know I think back of Schmeichel Van der Sar are the two that particularly stick out they were big when United would, would dominate him they were the, the goalkeepers <coughs> um, and De Gea is just, just not that's just not in his, his makeup it's not in his yeah. attributes to be that, that player but like I said it's the one position where especially the back four they want to know who's behind them they don't want to see chop and change all the time um, and like you just said if, if he does drop the hair then that sort of kills him because he'd be thinking, right, well, that's a that's a huge call midway through the season. And then if Henderson comes in and isn't great either, then then what does he do? Does he drop Henderson? Does he does he go back to the hair who he's just dropped and his confidence will be low? Um and also I think the, it's I mean it's it's never a good position. The fact that we're even talking about this is not good because also as a player, if Henderson it, let's just say he sticks with the hair now. The hair knows he's under pressure. It's it's horrible feeling as a player, especially as a goalkeeper. And you're going into the game knowing if I make a mistake here, I, I could be dropped. It happens as you know. I've had stages where you're thinking, um, or you, you're going into a game thinking, I need to play unbelievably. It's to keep me place, and yep. you know, and that's that's just not. It, it's not the way to to go about it. So if he, the hay is obviously going to be thinking that because he's getting criticised. He's made a few mistakes now, and then also if Hend if he does drop him in Henderson, Henderson needs then the rest of the season. But if he makes a few mistakes and it's cost starts costing the team, you know, then what does he do? It's it's to really um, I do I agree with you. I feel like it's the one position that it's just so tricky because you to, to um on deciding what to go with really. Um, so obviously we got a we got a couple of weeks um before our next game against away to Watford. I just wanted to touch on, uh, we spoke last week about social media and players, you know, coming out after the game. Um, we've had, you know, two notable ones after the game. Uh, Harry Maguire wrote an essay, you know, telling us how bad he feels and how we're all in this as a team. Um, we as supporters, we don't want to hear this, I'll be honest. And this is no disrespect to, you know, your profession, but we don't want to hear it after a defeat. We really don't. You know, it's it's just one of those things that I think just adds to it. Listen, we know players care. We get it. We want to, you, you kind of know the players that care and the players that don't care. You know, we've had players throughout the years that didn't care. Just stay off social media is my is, is my real, you know, opinion on that. Um, with With, you know, Harry Maguire coming out, and like I said, he you know he wrote a novel nearly about you know how sorry he was, and I just don't think it helps. I really don't think it helps. Um, but the most you know damning one that I have is Eric Boy posts a picture of of him scoring an own goal, and you know I I, I sent you on the picture, and it's on my block. It, it it blew my mind. I thought well maybe maybe this is an intern that did this by mistake, but it wasn't taken down. Mm. I mean, Scott, I'm going to ask you, you know, you go out next week, you score a known goal, 
you want to tell the fan, no, you're not on social media, but you want to tell the supporters that you're sorry. And, and I get players that want to say that, but there comes a point where you've got to stop doing it. you just got to stop doing it because it's only antagonising the whole situation. Would you post a picture of, of you scoring an own goal? I mean, listen, everyone knows, boy, it's hurting. I know he feels embarrassed. He feels, you know, oh my God, you know, of all the teams to score an OG against Liverpool or, 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 or Man City. And then he posts a picture of it, you know, apologising and all. I don't get it. I really don't. What What's your thoughts on 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 that actual? First of all, what's your thought? I know we talked about it last week with social media, and you said you know, it, at times it's hard because someone from the club will come and say, "Go say something." You're the captain. You got to say something. And they're caught between a rock and a hard place. But I think it comes a time throughout the season where you go, "Listen, this is doing more harm than it is good. We got to stop this." Um, but then you know, Eric comes up with with his second OG of the day and sticks that up there. I mean, what were your thoughts on that? I, I completely, I just find it baffling. I mean, I can half get, like we spoke about last week, it's the way the world now, um, players like to engage with fans and um, you, you see a lot of players after the defeat come out and oh, apologies to the fans and all the fans, oh, don't worry. And it, it's almost like some players love that and they, oh, I, I mean, I don't personally get it, but I, I, like I said, it's the way the world, a lot of people do it. But to post a picture of, of the actual you scoring your own goal, I mean, I just, yeah, even saying it just doesn't sound right, does it? It just doesn't sound right at all. I mean, like I say, maybe I don't know whether he's got a social media company who've done it for him or he's done it himself. I mean, that's another... And sorry, that, that happens from time to time. We see that. I mean, we've seen during the week, Bruno Fernandes, uh, there was there was a tweet put up there with, with uh, uh, Mar- I think the guy's name is Martinelli that plays for Arsenal. And there's a picture of, of him and two Arsenal players on the training ground hugging each other. But it was posted to Bruno Fernandes, you know, Instagram account. It was a simple mistake because they share the same okay. management company. And that happens. So when mm-hmm. when... The, the boy one went up there. I thought, oh, someone's had a you know a brain fart here, and it'll be taken down. And it wasn't, and it's still there. And it's like, yeah, that's the thing. You don't know. Maybe it was him. Maybe he, he felt that bad that he just wanted to remind everyone he's got an OG in a Manchester yeah, yeah. derby. That's what, yeah, that's what I mean. That's what I don't get. Just lay low, stay off it. Don't don't even. I wouldn't even tweet anything. I just you know you're going to get criticised for scoring an own goal, yeah. like. What, what would you say? Like, I just, I don't understand it. Sorry. I don't understand what he tried to achieve. Yeah, like Maguire, I, I can so, I kind of see maybe a tweet or, of listen, apologies for my performance today or apologies for the results. Like, just a small, but to post a picture and I just, I, I can't get made around it. I really can't. I think Harry Maguire is damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. I, yeah, you know, maybe. because if he doesn't say anything, people say he doesn't care. If he does post something, you know, I, I'm baffled that, that he does post stuff like that. I really am. I mean, the way I see it is that I'd rather they said nothing because, you know, it's not as if they're going to come out cheering on social media after the defeat. We get it. We get that they're going to try and do better and they have to do better. To, you guys are professional footballers. You want to be the best. You don't go out there with the attitude of, well, it doesn't really matter because I know it does. I know it does and I know it hurts. At times, I wonder why, you know, footballers... Your question there, Dave, because I'm, I'm not on Twitter and to any of the fans listening, um, does it actually... Do, do, after the defeat, does it change... It wouldn't change your opinion or your feeling if you it comes up on your, your feed no. of, of a certain player whether you win, lose, draw, what they say about the game, does it? I just... Uh, no, it doesn't. I have never got my head around it. You know, I just... Like I say, I, I don't get... It's difficult for me to comment on it, really, because I don't see it, and I don't get... You know, if I'm if I obviously looking for United results and support Man United, I don't know how, if Ronaldo scores and he, he tweets really pleased for me goal, or like you say, Maguire's coming out saying how much he's hurting. It doesn't... Do you talking on the pitch? Like it doesn't. Yeah. Know what it changes, or whether it makes the players feel better, or like I say, I know, I know a lot of them now. Obviously, have the social media companies and things like that. But I, I mean, as a fan or any fans, does it change? Does it make a difference? Does it? What, what happens? I just don't get it. It doesn't. It doesn't. You know, if, if Manchester United, you know, the start of the season when they won, you know, four one, and Ronaldo got, you know, Ronaldo got on the score sheet. It, it just kind of keeps a bit of the euphoria going for a little bit. 
but it, it doesn't really change much. And and I think it has the negative effect when we get beaten and we see the players coming out. And because you know, in in that game yesterday. I can accept a defeat when we play bad. I can, because it happens. I mean, I'm supporting this club 30 yard years. We've had some really bad nights and we've had some amazing nights. So you can accept that that's the great thing about football, you know, with those massive highs and depressing lows. But you still come back the following week. But what I won't accept, you know, from a Manchester United team, especially in the Manchester Derby, is lack of effort. And yesterday, for me, there was a lack of effort. Now, I know they were chasing shadows, but... You know, you're 2-0 down, you're chasing shadows. You know what? Just go, you may not want to hear this, but just go smack somebody. You know, just show that you care. Show that you want to win this game. Get in with a crunch and tackle. Get the crowd going. I just feel that a lot of these players these days in the top division are so far removed from the supporters. And not just the supporters, because I get that. I get that, you know, because... When, when you're playing in the Premier League or being a professional footballer, to be constantly getting hounded when you're out in public, I get it. I get it. You're trying to live your own life. But I just... I it, There was no effort yesterday, in my opinion. I just don't... It, there was just no effort. There was just... They, they had given up after 45 minutes. Um, you know, and <laughs> Wayne makes a very good point. He says, chasing shadows, you'd have to chase. That's the point I'm trying to make. You know, we there was very little effort there. There really was. It was like they just accepted that, you know, they were going to get beaten. And, and I go back to that remark where I said that it looked like it was, it was, you know, let's not get humiliated here like we did against Liverpool from a scoreline perspective. But I honestly believe we were even humiliated even more on that pitch yesterday because it was, it was clearly boys against men. And, yeah. and, Sorry, go on. And it was that was that's my biggest criticism of yesterday: the lack of effort. You know, if you get beaten and you've tried your hardest, we that's happened to us many, many times down the year. Where you've looked at a game and gone, we couldn't have done anything more. There, it's just one of those days. But yesterday, we got beaten and we got humiliated, and there was no effort there. There was no one. I'm I'm not going to say Harry Maguire shouldn't be the captain of Manchester United, but I think he could be doing more on the pitch. From a vocal standpoint, I really do. He just seems too quiet for my liking. Yeah, I think watching it and obviously reflecting on it and on speaking about it now, it was almost as if like they had scars from the Liverpool game and they they probably were thought if they really went and really tried to press and close down Man City and they just got played around, it could be a similar game. And that's, yeah. you know, as a play, I've been there where you're playing against a team who are maybe in, in relating to my league who are the top of the league and you're 2-0 down and you probably you, you know you're not going to win the game and there's that fear creeps in where if you really go and get after them and they just they're too good for you and that but we shouldn't be talking about you know City should be too good even though we know they are on the basis of the performances it just it just felt like there was scars from the Liverpool game where when they went to really press Liverpool they just went one, two, three passes, and all of a sudden they were in. And I think City, even more than Liverpool, would pick them off even better. Um, and like I can say, the timings of the goals are horrific. But you know, it's hard to disagree. Looking at it, it did look like not that they didn't care. We know they care, but just there, there was no real intensity. They didn't get close to anyone. They didn't even try and nick the ball when they did nick the ball. And I, you know, it pains us to say, but I think City deserve huge credit i mean they, they played so well even as soon as they lost the ball when united did ever win the ball back within two passes they were just kicking it long straight back there was no out the you know ronaldo's never going to really sprint in behind now and cause city problems um so i think it, i always think it's a bit of both i never i never just think it's awful from united you know i'm not saying they played well one bit they were very very poor but i also think you, man city was so so good um uh, the way they played they outnumbered United all over the pitch in wide areas, constantly switching the play, making United run. And it just, Old Trafford's a big pitch. So the outside midfield play, you could see the wing backs, they didn't jump out, yeah. they didn't really come forward. And again, I, I believe that's that was a fear. Uh, that It was almost like a fear from Liverpool and the success they had at Tottenham doing it. When you, and then obviously, you know, when, you, when you're two down in the Manchester Derby at home, fans demand that you put some tackles in like you said smash into yeah. someone close down it should look like you're showing a bit of fight and um obviously that you know that didn't happen and I, like i say i think 
the Liverpool game had a, had a part to play in that for me. Um, Norwich City won the first game yesterday, and of course, you know what what what's the next thing you should do when you win your first game? You sack your manager. Um, yeah, it was a real strange I, one. Yeah. <coughs> I think yeah, obviously that was you know pre-planned, and they they didn't think they were going to win. Um, <coughs> excuse me. Aston Villa had a very good season last season. Didn't start off great this season, but um, Dean Smith just lost his job. That's five managers, I believe, now that have lost their job so far. Yet, Ollie has kept his. Are our standards a lot lower than Norwich's and Aston Villa's at this point? No, I don't think so. I think it's just... Um, they'd be, again, they'd be scarred from Mourinho and uh, Van Gaal, Moyes. And I just think that they've Man United historically have never been a second club. Ollie's obviously a club legend, so he'll get more time than that. Um, and again, I just think who's out there? Conte wasn't really a good fit. Three five two, low low defensive Italian manager. Just didn't see that working at Man United. It's not the the demands of the club. Uh, Zidane, I mean, he's had one job. He had the best team probably in the world. You know, obviously it's not not that easy that you just sort of pick eleven players and they go out and win. What did he win? Three European Cups. You know, it was incredible. But he did have obviously a, a top top team, and then and then everyone else seems to be in job. Pochettino was obviously the, the one that was heavily linked uh, whilst he was just after Tottenham before Ollie. Uh, sorry, a couple of years ago. So they're probably just thinking, let's just get through to the end of the season, see where we're at, try and get the new players bedded in, and. You know, I just I, I don't see if it, if they lost the next few games, I think they'd have a real real issue on the hands. Um, but historically, Ollie's always won a game when he's been perceived to be by the media very close to be getting sacked. Um, and again, I, I go back to the the previous managers how that they didn't work. Um, but if if I think if the board decide that Ollie's no longer the right man, and maybe maybe they already have, and they're looking at the. I mean, you see it all the time. Managers get sacked, and then within a day, there's a new manager. Yeah. These people are daft. They don't just. They look how stupid would the Man United board be if they sacked Ollie now mid-season, and then it took them a month or two months to appoint another manager. They'd have to put a caretaker manager in. They might. They might already be looking now. Uh, you know, we don't know. But like I said, there's, there's no obvious candidate where you're out there thinking, "Oh yeah, he'd be good. He'd be a perfect fit." You know, so maybe that's got a, a part to play. I think Norwich and Villa are, are probably different. Norwich are obviously more desperate to stay in the Premier League. So by yeah. getting the man out, it might just give the players a, a bounce and a freshness. And, you know, we've spoke loads of times. Ollie, Ollie would never lose the dressing room. The, the, you know, the players aren't going to dislike him or not play for him or run for him. Um, obviously, there might be issues on, on whether it be tactics, training. We, we haven't got a clue about that. Only the players know. So I do feel Norwich are different. Villa, I was very surprised at because yeah. it actually frustrated me, that one, because, like you say, they had a really good season last year. They've lost the best player, <clears throat> Jack Grealish. So they were probably never going to be as good. They had a couple of players, Buendia, uh, Bailly from Bayer Leverkusen, um, or Bailey. Um, that was always going to take time to gel. Um and then it just just shows you how fickle, how fickle football is, and especially football management. I don't know what the average uh, tenure is now for manage, managers and jobs at, at the minute, but it's not long. And um, you know what a good what a good job he's done, Dean Smith. So, so I mean the names that have been thrown out there, um, like you said, you know, there's no automatic choice there because you know I'm not a fan of bringing in Zidane. I don't think we're gonna we're gonna do much under him. I think you're you've hit the nail on the head. The team that he had was. Was absolutely phenomenal, but you know, then again, you still have to go out and win. But yeah. if you've got the best players, you have a better chance of winning, don't you? Um, the two names that have popped up at the moment is Ten Hag from Ajax and Brendan Rogers of Leicester, both both in you know jobs that they're probably quite happy with at the moment. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> the strong rumors that Brendan Rogers is kind of holding out for Manchester City, you know, if Pep ever quits. But obviously, the Manchester United job is a far bigger job than the Manchester City job any day of the week. Um, Ten Hag with Ajax, you know, his team is playing some beautiful football. You know, I'm not going to buy into the fact that they've scored 50-odd goals. They're playing in the Dutch league. It's completely different. Um, but, you know, in the Champions League, they've already qualified. You know, his teams play really nice attacking football. 
I always say in football, money talks at the end of the day. That's the way it is these days. And if Manchester United were to approach Ajax and say, hey, normally, as we know, historically, clubs don't pay for managers. They just don't. But if you go to Ajax with something like 20 million, 25 million, I could see something being done there. It all comes down to the manager at that point. Brendan Rodgers, for me, I don't know, that whole Liverpool connection, you know, doesn't sit right with me. But I can get past that if I'm being blatantly honest, because football nowadays is not about loyalty. It really isn't. You know, there's only certain players or managers you would go, no, never in a million years. Like Luis Suarez come up for a free transfer at Manchester United, sign from, they burned the club down. Um, you know, that's a different type of uh, scenario there. But Brendan Rodgers, managers just move. From job to job, from job to job. That's just the way it is. Look at London. I mean, now Conte's at Spurs. He used to be at Chelsea. You know, Mourinho was at Chelsea. And then he went to Spurs. It's just, there's no loyalty at all in management. And I get it 100%. Managers mm-hmm. want to be the best. So, Brendan Rogers, Ten Hag are the names being floating around there. Um, if Leicester go start to stumble, it wouldn't be surprising to me to see Manchester United make a move on Brendan Rogers. What would, what would be your general thoughts on that? I think Brendan Rogers is comfortably the best British manager out there at the minute by a mile. Um, obviously, he's done, he done a really good job at Liverpool, came so, so close to, to winning the Premier League with them that year. Um, took Celtic to a new level, improved them. Okay, it's the Scottish League. They were always going to win the league with the position ranges in, but just the performance levels they set um, was, was incredible. Um, and then at Leicester... I mean, Leicester are never going to win the league again because I think that was more the teams in and around them were, not, were nowhere near at such a battle. They all seem to have a bad season in the same year when Leicester did win it, taking nothing away from them, of course. But I think he won the FA Cup last year, <clears throat> uh, getting into Europe. And it's more just the consistency. Everyone's talking about Leicester now as the a top seven team, whereas they, yeah. they just weren't. And, and that's such a, you know, that's such a huge... Um, huge pat on the back for Brendan Rodgers and the job he's done really because I mean his recruitment's been really good some of the players he's signed the way that the team plays is, is attractive good good style of football so it's just like you say it's just a Liverpool thing whether you know whether the fans could turn up you know again it, look at Rafa Benitez and Everton if, um, if, he, if he wins his first five games at Old Trafford at the end no one's going to talk about him ever being a Liverpool manager are they you know so the fans yeah. are Listen, we spoke before about fans being fickle and, and they'll move on quick from that, I'm sure. But, you know, like you say, he's in a comfortable job there at Leicester. He, he's doing well. Would he be looking at Man United thinking it's one to dodge? And, and like you say, maybe hold out for City, looking at their squad and how they're playing. We, we don't know. Um, the Ajax manager has obviously got a great record that as well. That I, I personally don't know an awful lot about him. Um Obviously, he done really, really well with Ajax a couple of seasons ago when uh, Tottenham beat them in the semi-final. I think they beat Real Madrid. Van der Beek might actually get a game if he comes in, possibly. Um, but yeah, I mean, they're, if they're the two names, then I'm sure, I'm sure they. I mean, they're both obviously very credible managers in their own right. But it's different. One one thing I will say though, it's completely different managing Man United and playing for Man United yeah. that would be for playing for Leicester or Ajax. Look at Harry Maguire, for example. Uh, Van de Beek as well, for example, he was absolutely ripping it up for for Ajax. He can't get a kick at the minute for Man United. Um, so you know it's 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 tough. It is really tough. So I want I want to move on to um, Red Guitarist question here. He said, interesting your two's uh, on your two's opinion of the lack of booing in the stadium by the fans during and after results like yesterday. Surely there has to be a stronger reaction from the fans inside the ground. Um, if you don't mind, I want to answer this first and then I yeah. want to move you, you know, as a, as, a, as a player as well. Um, number one, I did hear booze yesterday, you know, and I heard them after the Liverpool game. Um, I did hear booze at halftime. Um, I don't get it. I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't, I've never booed at a game um, unless it was at the opposition team. I've never booed it. You know, I don't think it brings anything to the game. I don't think I get the I get the, the, the thought process behind it. Um, you know, that if, if, if the fans inside the stadium turn on the manager, it's got to put pressure on the board. I just don't, for me, it's just not my thing. I think, you know, if a player's out there and he's playing bad, the last thing he wants to hear 
you know, he's not thinking to himself, well, you know what? Did I have a good game? Did I have a bad game? Let me, let me, let me ask the audience. I mean, he knows he's had a bad game. I don't get booing. I know there was booing at the game yesterday. Uh, maybe, maybe a listener here didn't didn't hear it, but I definitely did hear it. Um, but then again, I got the volume up at ninety nine because I want to wake up all my neighbours at five o'clock in the morning and give that match experience. I definitely heard it, but I don't. I personally don't understand it. You know, I I, I never got it. You know, and I, I know in, in in Spain it's a little bit different where they you know they wave the white handkerchief and stuff like that. <laughs> Maybe that's a little bit more sophisticated, but I just don't get it. I really don't get it. Scott, you played professional football all your life. <clears throat> Does booing make you a better player? <laughs> no, absolutely not. Um, yeah, no, it doesn't really do anything. It's just, I think, if anything, you could see it's, it, it drains the team, really. Um, no, it, it doesn't really affect. I don't think it, if you. Anyone's off mentally strong, it doesn't really bother you. Um, there has been times where if it's really vicious booing, um, you can just see the confidence of the whole team get drained. And I think you made a good point about what it often is. Um, it's a signal to the board if, if the fans really unhappy. Um, and like you say, I, I also heard booing yesterday. Um, but I just get the feeling that the fans inside the stadium aren't really it's not booing it's more just booing out of sheer frustration and like, I, like you said I get why fans boo that's their release that's what they look forward to all weekend especially after something like yesterday and you were saying it looked like the players didn't care of course there's going to be boos it's just that's what fans have always done and probably always will do it's their way of venting out the frustration of, of what they're seeing on the pitch but it certainly doesn't make you play better or worse or have an effect on you it's just doesn't really I think when you're playing in that zone you, it's all all the noise the songs a lot of it's just like a, a small very very small distraction you know you don't really take it all in to be honest well you know if, if this was 15 20 years ago this was the only way supporters could show their disapproval to the manager you know we, we remember that <clears throat> infamous uh uh, are now maybe famous banner, uh, Tara Fergie back in, in 89. Um, and that's the only way the club back then and, and even 20 years ago would know that the pla- that the fans are not happy. Now social media can can easily, you can easily get that vibe right away. This is why I don't even more so now understand. Um, but I do believe that there's, social media has has split our fan base with, with Ollie in and Ollie out. Um, and, and I think that a lot of that is driving the support inside the stadium. Um, <laughs> the support inside the stadium is the mentality, I believe, from the supporters here uh, is that, you know, well, we don't want to be seen as the social media crowd that just jumps on the club every time. So we're going to just, we're just going to hold off on booing. But it is starting to get increasingly, you know, increasingly uh, more vocal inside the stadium. I just, I just don't believe that the club is going to make the decision based off booing inside the stadium. And I think it has a negative effect on the players. You know, I know you said that, that you know, it doesn't doesn't make you, it doesn't all of a sudden make you, oh, stop booing, Jesus, we better play better. I, but I do think, it, you know, as you said, it, it, it puts a drain on the team as well. No one wants to hear it. Who wants to go to work, you know, in any walk of life and, you know, you're working on a register in Tesco and the person that's putting on the groceries is booing you, you know, and throwing stuff at you. You know, Wayne makes a good point here. You know, he comes up with a, a good old fact here. A woman once hit Dave Sexton with her shoe. I mean, who wants to be hit with a shoe, you know, when you're at work? Nobody does. So mm. I don't think it contributes at all. I really don't. Um, I don't think it's going to help in any way. I, I don't think the club is these days makes their decisions based off what the fans inside the ground think. I think that's what we have to remember now, nowadays. This is all about top four finishes. That's all it's about. It's not even about winning trophies for a lot of these owners. We know that, you know, we hate to admit it, but we know it. Their business plan is based on one, two, three or four. If they get one, everyone's happy at the party. If they get two, three or four, everyone's happy in the boardroom anyway. Because you're getting the same amount of money, you're getting the Champions League money. You know, you're missing out on a couple of million from not winning the league versus finishing fourth. But that's that's pennies. Everything is about the top four. I mean, David Moyes' contract, what we're led to believe, it was built in there that if he didn't finish in the top four, he got fired. That tells you everything. 
you know, that tells you everything about the business model that Manchester United have. And listen, we're, we're not the only ones like that. Arsenal are the same, you know, I'm sure Tottenham are the same. we got all these clubs that top four is all they care about. It's not about winning trophies. It's about getting into that top four. And earlier on, you, you you know, you made the point that, you know, you're not sure whether they're going to get rid of Oli, you know, throughout the season. I'm kind of flipping back and forth on that. I, You know, Gary Neville made a point today. I'm not Gary Neville's biggest fan when he talks, but Gary Neville made a very good point in that Edward Ward doesn't want his last big decision to be that he sacked Oli before he actually rides off into the sunset. So he doesn't believe he's going to go before Woodward does, which is, I believe is at the end of the year. I think if United get to the end of the year with Solskjaer, they're going to just stay with him because, like you said, who do they bring in? You know, do they do they put the the current coaching staff in charge? That's I mean, that's just as big of a problem as 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 having Ollie in charge at the moment because it's one team. It's a very very difficult thing. But you and I spoke before we come on. I'm on the air. These things go in cycles. They really do. You know, I'm following United through from the 80s to now. The 80s were terrible. A couple of FA Cup wins here. Um, still the, the the you know the aura of Manchester United it's always there, you know the nineties the two thousands up until Fergie quit, um, they were the greatest decades for me. Now we're just going through this situation whereby you know unfortunately we're that team on the other side. But we'll you know these are cycles. It'll come back. It's the greatest sport in the world. Um, Scott, we got a couple of weeks off. Um, I know I know that we got the international. Um, I've given my opinion on on Ole. Do you think he's going to last those two weeks? Because historically, a lot of managers do get fired during that international break. Yeah, I think he will. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you say, I think it's a, it's a time where clubs look at it and think if they're going to do it, do it now. But I also think as well as if they know they're going to bring in, so they give that manager a two week block up until the first game to to, to work with the team to put them in a new shape or different training methods yeah. or or whatever. But I, I just don't see that. I don't see it at all. Um, I agree with the, the Gary Neville point where Edward Wood is he's coming for awful amounts of criticism and, and rightly so. Uh, in his, his period, he won't want to probably sack the club legend who, who you know, Ollie just before he leaves. Um, and he hired him as well. So, you know. Yeah, exactly. So, he, you know, he, he won't want to do that. And like I said, I don't see who's out there, who's the obvious. If, if there was someone out, listen, I think if, if Pochettino had just got sacked last week off PSG, it possibly could be a different different story because he seems to tick all the boxes with bringing young players through like he did at Tottenham, uh, really front foot football, fast attacking. You know, he seems to tick a lot of the boxes that you would look at as a profile of a Man United manager and how they play and the history of, of the, the way they play football. But he's a PSG. Um, and like I said, we, you know, we spoke about the other, they're all in jobs, in, in good jobs. So there's no obvious candidate out there. So I, no, I see Ollie taking the Wofford game, 100%. Isn't, isn't it crazy? Before we finish up, isn't it crazy to think that if David Moyes hadn't have man, managed Manchester United, David Moyes would be mentioned as the new as a new Manchester United manager yeah. this moment in time? I've seen, um, seen that on Instagram. I think it was last week. And it's so true, isn't it? It I mean, is. If he'd have done, you'd look at Everton, <laughs> like say, he raised Man United, then he went to Real Sociedad, so he's had some experience abroad. Um, then he had a bit of a tough time at Sunderland. Then he's had this is his second spell at West. He kept West Ham up, didn't he? Obviously, Sunderland had been a sinking ship for years, so yeah. he took them down. But he, he didn't, you know, he didn't get a lot of the blame wasn't on him for that. It was more with the owners and the direction the club had been going for for many, many managers and many years. Then he kept West Ham up, and then did he have a job in between that? I think, or then he, he come back again to West Ham, didn't he? And the job, I mean, the job he's doing now is just beat Liverpool. I mean, he would be. He probably would be the one you're saying, like you say, if he hadn't been at Man United, go and get him. He's, he knows the Premier League inside out. He's managed a thousand games. He's experienced managing a different culture in, in Real Sociedad. You know, go and get him. Um, Wait, did you just say he just he just beat Liverpool? I haven't seen a result. Yeah, three two. Well, weekend got a little bit better, just a little <laughs> bit. You know, I grew up with Liverpool fans in the eighties. As you know, I live in California, and I'm just glad I'm not living back home right now, but they still can reach me any minute of any day. And the abuse I put up with since yesterday, so my, my weekend's got a little bit better. 
you know, my social media has got a little bit quieter today. It will be. Trust me on that. Um, but you you are right, David Moyes. We would be talking about David Moyes here. We really would. And, you know, his contract just ended in, you know, two years ago at Manchester United. His original one, believe it or not. They gave him six years. So I'm sure they still have his HR paperwork. I'm sure they still have all his little trinkets from his office. You know, we're still sitting in a cupboard somewhere. Um, but for me, you know, it's we're, we're at this... Very, very difficult crossroads right now. You know, do we do we panic and get rid of Ole? And and it's not not so much of a panic, but panic in the fact that who do we have till for the rest of the season before it makes it easier to go get a manager at the end of the season? But we're only in November here, Scott. You know, this this is this could get a hell of a lot worse before it gets any better. Or do we just you know try a new brand of going after a manager, um, which we haven't tried before, and that is go and pay for one. You know, go and get one. I know a lot of clubs don't do that, but why not break the mold? Yeah, I, don't I don't think that would be an issue. I don't think money is an issue at Man United, is it? I think if they had to oh, pay no, I don't believe so. Oh. Five million, ten million, fifty million, you know, it's arguably more important than a, a player signing. So I, yeah. I don't think money would get in the way of that. Um, like you say, I, I just think there'd be a lot more complications with managers who are already in jobs. Um, so. I just, just, I just don't see it anytime soon. I think if there was serious threat of Man United not getting in the top four, like you say, the board and the panic of the finances, then they might, they might get um, a bit of a rush of blood and make a decision. But I, I don't know who they would get in as a short term fix. I don't know because they would have give, to obviously bring someone in pretty quick. Give it the Giggsy till the end of the season. Wasn't that the saying? Yeah, give it, yeah, Giggsy. I don't, I don't. Where do you think Man United would be now if Moyes didn't get sacked? And he'd done his whole five years. Um, probably preparing to play Markham next week. <laughs> great answer. Um, um, I, you know what? It's a great question because, and it's one that's come up because. Does that argument was Moyes given enough time? Uh, me personally, did. I think people have short memories. It was terrible back then. It was mm. it was terrible. There was he didn't give them much of a choice. And the way I look at it is that maybe David Moyes is a better manager because of his eight months at Manchester United. You know, maybe that's why he has taken that. You know, managers, players, when they leave big clubs, can all of a sudden find form. You know, you look at Diego Forlan as a prime example, went to Spain and won the Golden Boot for two or three years in a row. And that's when, you know, Spanish teams were really in their pump. Um, Hernandez, you know, his last few seasons wasn't great, went off, had a better career, I believe, after he left United. Had a couple of better seasons. Why not managers? You know, why not managers? Why can managers not, you know, we? I remember saying this before that Sam Allardyce, you know, was was previously a manager of a part-time team in Ireland, Limerick. Used to go door-to-door with a bucket, collecting money to save the club. Became the manager of England and then got, you know, obviously we know what happened there. But Sam Allardyce became, you know, a, a decent manager. Made a very, very good living now and a very good career over it. Why can't manage it? And I, I personally believe that the eight months that David Moyes had at Manchester United was 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 an education for him. And I believe that clubs now, are the likes of West Ham, are, are actually benefiting from that. I, I just at the time I don't think I think it was the wrong time for Moyes. It was it was too. The argument could be that if David Moyes came in after, let's say Jose or Louis Van Hall, would he have done better? I believe he would have. You know, I really do. Um, I just you know following Fergie, it was always going to be. You never a- wanted to to be the one who had to follow, did you? No. Soon happened at Arsenal. You just, you know, you're already onto a hiding than nothing, aren't you? You really are. You're constantly going to get be, you know, it was the same with, you know, Wolf McGuinness when, when some Matt Busby resigned or retired. It was the same thing. The pressure was just too much when you have that giant shadow hanging over you. That's just the way it is. Yeah. Um, but, Scott, um, before we finish up, best of luck tomorrow. Um, you guys got a good win um, uh, yesterday in the FA Cup. You know, I, I know your league form hasn't been the greatest, but wins are wins. You know better than anyone that that breeds yes, confidence. You know, breeds confidence. Um, so hopefully tomorrow you get a nice handy draw. We'll be looking out for it. Number 12. Um, yeah. Nice handy draw at home. We want to see you guys in the third round. We want to see you in the fourth round. We want to see you, you know, we really want to see you guys get a, you know, get get a Premier League team or avoid them all and even go on a bigger run, you know. that That's, yeah. you know, that's the dream. Um 
but best of luck. I mean, you're yeah, you know you're in a you're in a you're in a great position now. So second round, and I know everyone's going to be that second round is kind of the semi final, really, isn't it, for the lower division mm-hmm. teams because they know we get past this, we could be playing one of the top boys, and and there's nothing like the FA Cup. You know, I say this, it's the first biggest, that's, that's for me, it's just, it's a historical thing for me. It was the first game I've seen. Um, so the FA Cup for me is, has always been up there. So best of luck in that. Um, and uh, yeah. And uh, are you guys playing it? I know it's international week, but I know you guys have a couple of international players. Are you, are you playing yeah, next no, week? We, uh, we're supposed to play Wigan, but I think both teams have got international call-ups. So we've got a, a Jamaican player, uh, an Icelandic under 21 player, and a, um, and a Northern Irish player. So we've got the three that you need three players to, to be able to call the game off. Oh, so okay. Three, and I believe we're going to have got three as well. So um, no, no game this weekend. So we've got a two week break as well. So oh, any, any major plans? No, no, we, um, we'll be in. I assume you guys train all the time anyway. Yeah, no, so we'll be training Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and then we're getting a, a nice few days off uh, because once we come back, there's, there's, so many games. I mean, there's there's a lot of games obviously in the Premier League, but we have four more teams, so that's eight more league games. Plus the League Cup, FA Cup, but in the early rounds is that, so, you know, we have, you could end up having, if you you get on a cup run, I think you could play over 60 games. Um, So there's an awful lot of games, so we're having a, we're getting a bit of a break and then, like I say, when we come back, it's leading up to the Christmas period, which as we all know is hectic. We uh, You need that little bit of a rest and a recharge to, to be able to get through all that. So, um, yeah, nice few days off the weekend. Well, I'm going to finish it up there. As I said earlier on in the, in the show, um, if you haven't subscribed, please hit the subscribe button. Um, you know, we, we value uh, everything, you know, all, all the listeners and all the feedback. We really appreciate it. Uh, if, if, if you, if you, you know, if, as a Manchester United sport, if you're out of your rut, you know, I'd, I'd, I'd say, you know, go on to Talk of the Devils, uh, go on to Wayne Barton's Twitter feed, and he always posts up a very, very good, you know, uh, uh, sensible and uh, um, what's the words I should be using? I'm going to try and be nice now. Um, a different perspective to, to how, you know, our weekend game goes. And, and this week's one um, is a bit of a long one. So um, sit yourself down, grab a beer, grab a tea, grab a coffee, whatever you want to do, and take a look at it. Talk of the Devils, I'll call it UK. And also on Wayne, uh, Wayne S. Barton's Twitter feed. He always posts a link there. So always a good read. And always, you know, you'll definitely come away feeling a lot better um, and being more knowledgeable about what actually is going on at the club. So, um, But for everyone else, I appreciate it. And uh, we'll be back in a couple of weeks. Thank you.